This summer, we're in a seven-week homily series called Harvest. And today, we're right smack in the middle of part number four. This series is all about evangelization. How do we bring in the harvest of God's sons and daughters that God's already been growing? We started the series with Jesus saying, the harvest is... Let's, let's go back three weeks, you know, mentally call it back, just mentally go back. Okay. The harvest is, abundant is the word, okay? The harvest is abundant, and who are the workers for the harvest? We are. It's now, we are the workers, we are called to evangelize, all of us, every single one of us who are baptized. Today we're going to talk about the pace of Jesus. In the gospel, I think a lot of us are familiar with those words about Jesus saying that his yoke is easy, his burden is light. That's a very familiar, famous verse to us. Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened. I want to give you rest. But I think for a lot of us, we're less familiar with what comes right before that, where it says Jesus exclaims and he praises his Father, Lord of heaven and earth. It just like comes out of nowhere in the gospel. Why does he say that? What What just happened beforehand? We learn from Luke's gospel, when the 72 come back from their mission. Here's the verses right beforehand. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So they just come back from their mission. They come back two by two from bringing in the harvest. They proclaim the kingdom of God is at hand, and they have been given power. They've cured people of diseases, of leprosy. They've raised the dead. They've cast out demons. And they come back, and they're like, Lord, Lord, that was awesome. Even the demons were subject to us. And Jesus, he rejoices with the Father, but he also corrects them. He says, rejoice more that your names are written in heaven, you know, every ancient city had, had a register of the citizens engraved in name. And so what he's saying is rejoice more so that you belong to the heavenly Jerusalem. You belong to God the Father. Re- rejoice that, that you know the living God. That's more important than the power you had. Yes, you have power. Yes, I've given you that power. But re- rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And then Jesus praises the Father of heaven and earth He really models for them and for us the proper response to seeing people accept the word of life. It's simply to praise God our Father, to rejoice in him. Jesus in this moment had just been going around to different villages preaching and they were rejecting him. They were resisting his word. Those who were the wise and the learned, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious people, they had not accepted their own salvation. They had not repented. It wounds Jesus' heart. 
And here comes all the disciples, two by two, and they're just telling Jesus the stories of, here's what happened to these people. We, we used your name, and people were healed. People were believing in you. People were, were repenting. People were being reconciled to God. And what does Jesus do? Father, I praise you, Lord of heaven and earth. You have revealed these things, not to the wise and learned, but to little children, to little ones. People broken, people lowly, people humble. Their names are being written in heaven. They're discovering God's love for them. They're part of the harvest being brought in. And what does Jesus do? He just praises his Father. Everything Jesus did in his ministry on earth was, first of all, to praise his Father. So it's meant to be for us. So only after that does Jesus say, Come to me, everyone who is burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now we get to the yoke, okay? We know that, of course, a yoke is something that binds two animals together to pull the plow. And it works by equalizing their pace. Think about that. Different kind of animals, they've, some are stronger, some are weaker. When you link them together in a yoke, it equalizes their pace and combines their power so they can plow that field. There's something about not getting ahead or behind of each other that makes it possible. And that yoke's meant to be really well-fitted so that it keeps them together, doesn't chafe, doesn't bind, that it's a light and, and good yoke. So keeping pace with one another is very important for the yoke that farm animals wear to till the, till the field. Keeping pace with one another is also very true in marriage. Those of you who are married here today, you know that it's so important to kind of keep pace with each other, to not go too far ahead or fall behind, to kind of just where your spouse is at, right? It's really important to be able to be yoked together and go the same pace. I see back here Troy and Alicia are one of our newly engaged couples getting married at St. Rose in the future. Wave, guys. Give us a little wave. Thank you. You're going, to be, you're going to wear that yoke real soon. You're, you're going to feel that weight. And some days you may want to be pushing ahead and you're like, Troy, come on. And someday, Troy, you're going to be pushing ahead like, Alicia, catch up. But you're yoked together meant to be the same pace. That's what it's about. And the same thing is true in evangelization. We're meant to be yoked together with Jesus to keep pace with him. Not to fall behind and be sluggish and not to charge ahead and go too fast beyond his pace. He's the one who knows how to prepare the harvest by tilling the soil and how to bring in the harvest. We want to keep pace with Jesus. We can kind of fall into two errors with this. One is we can fall into the error of sluggishness where we don't think that we're called to evangelize. We, we think that's someone else's job. We're kind of all concerned about our own lives, my own stuff. And like, uh, evangelization, I mean, that's, that's for the priests. Or I, I'm not, I, that's not my gift, you know. And we can be really sluggish. We can also be, on the opposite side, kind of like manic about evangelization. Where yes, we're excited for the gospel, but we're so anxious and agitated that it's not so much about this individual beautiful soul before me 
that I want to encounter Jesus, but it's all about like how many people can I get and how many Bible verses can I proclaim and like being really, really forceful about the gospel and not being meek like Jesus. Right in the middle of those two extremes is the virtue of urgency. This is Jesus' heart. He has an urgency about reconciling sinners to the Father. He has a mission. He needs to accomplish it. He's steadfast and devoted to it, but he's not dallying and sluggish, and he's not manic and just running all over the place frenetically. We're called to have an urgency to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. Knowing that we have a mission that God calls each of us, being steadfast about that, but keeping pace with Jesus, staying with him on our mission, however God calls us to evangelize. Now, I would say maybe 90% of American Catholics are probably more tend towards the sluggish side. I think in my first homily, I said the stat that when American Catholics are asked, how important is evangelization in your church? How many say it's important out of 100? Six. Six percent. Thank God that's changing. Thank God we're coming awake from our slumber and realizing that this is actually the reason the church exists, is to evangelize. To help other people encounter Jesus and have a life-changing relationship with him. We don't want to be sluggish anymore. Now, I've got a good friend who's a Catholic priest in the South. He was raised in India, and he grew up as a Hindu. And he began to be fascinated by Jesus. He wanted to learn more about Jesus. And he finally became a Christian and was baptized. But he told me, he says, yeah, in India, I became a Christian despite the best efforts of the Jesuits. Now, no, no offense to our Jesuit brothers and sisters. I have many Jesuit friends. But when he went to them and was excited for the gospel and wanted to learn more, I wanted, I wanted to be baptized, they were like, well, that's, that's great, but just kind of slow down here a little bit. And, oh, you, you, you want to be baptized? Well, let, let, just think about that for a little bit. Like, he, was so, he had to go to another priest to receive baptism. Like, they didn't get it. They didn't realize what they had. They didn't realize the riches of Christ. They were sluggish when this new disciple wanted to receive the spirit of God. We don't want to be there. It's sluggish. On the other side, kind of the side of being kind of manic, again, I think this is typically not where we fall. Maybe someday we'll have to contend with those challenges. But I do want to say something about that because we can sometimes get a little bit ahead of Jesus in our pace And I want everyone here to be bold in how you're discovering, how you're called to evangelize. I want you to be fearless and bold, but to remember that it's about keeping pace with Jesus. And even if you share your testimony with someone else, even if you proclaim God's word to someone else, to realize that people need time to respond to God's word. People got to really count the cost of becoming a disciple. For a lot of people, it takes a long time until they realize, like, I'm ready to take the jump. I've now received the grace Many of you know that I love to mountain bike. I'll actually be going to Duluth to mountain bike tonight. And you know what? It's true. I love to go fast. And a couple years ago, I was going really fast down one of the downhill trails. And I was on the top of my game that day. Everything was clicking. Bike was, machine was great. I was dialed in. No one else on the trail. 
We're going downhill by Upper Keene, and it was a new trail, and I was going too fast, and all of a sudden, big mud puddle, front tire goes in, over the handlebars, broke my shoulder. (laughs) First broken bone ever. (laughs) This was a new trail for me. This was a new place, and I was riding way too fast. Not a good pace. You can get hurt when you go too fast. Our school principal, Mr. Slykey, was just in the Holy Land for 10 days. He just came back. And over in the Holy Land, there's a lot of camels, and you can ride a camel. One of my friends, not Mr. Slykey, but one of, one of my friends a couple years ago was over there, and they had camel rides into this ancient city. And so the guy's like, I want to do that. And the guy's like, okay, it's, it's $10. Okay, gets on the camel, begins going down this road. And then the, the tour guide is like, the guy with the camel is like, would you like to go faster? My friend's like, yeah, yeah. So it kind of gives him a little push. The camel begins kind of trotting. It's more fun, you know. And then he's like, would you like to go faster? He's like, yeah. The guy like kicks his camel, just bolts down the road. My friend's holding on for dear life. Gets off. He's like, that is awesome. And then the guy's like, $50, please. He's like, well, hold on, hold on. You said 10 back there. He says, yes, but it, it of course costs more to go fast. Like sometimes we don't realize how much it will cost us to go ahead of the pace of Jesus. Okay? His light, his burden is light and easy. Maybe you could say his, his burden is inexpensive. I don't know. But uh, we need to go the pace with Jesus and how he wants to bring the gospel to other people, how he wants to work with us because he's gentle, he's meek. That's why in the scriptures he rides the donkey into Jerusalem. He doesn't ride the war horse, the fast war horse into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. He rides the donkey. Donkey's slower, shorter, kind of squat. But pound for pound, did you know that donkeys can carry more weight than horses because of how they're built? They're meant, they're meant to carry loads. That's how we should view our interactions with other people as we desire for them to know Jesus. We don't want to be the racehorse that's just like flying down the circuit and they're holding on for dear life about to fall off, maybe break a bone in the process, get hurt by someone. We want to be the, the donkey where we carry the load of souls and we slowly and steadily help people meet Jesus. Even though it may take a while, even though we may feel the burden, but it's humble, it's not flashy. The best evangelization comes from that constant, devoted investment in relationships. It's not always flashy and doesn't always happen in an instant. It's how we're called to to bring in the harvest. Friends, for myself, I I know I can fall into the camp where I can be a little bit manic. I can be so excited because I see St. Rose of Lima growing in faith and growing in numbers. And I myself am sometimes like wanting to push on to like, what's next, Lord? What else do I have to do? Like, how, like where are we going next week? And of course, we, we, we love to see growth in our church. We love, we love to have children and babies in our church. We love to see people coming here who are, who are new, of course, all these things. But if we don't keep pace with Jesus, if we don't moderate and remember that it's about abiding with him and rejoicing in the Father and not about the demons are subject to me, Lord, did you see how many people were on the pews on Sunday? It was amazing. It's not about that. It's not about, oh, how many people are in my ministry, in my small group? Do people see me and and the gifts I have that God's given me? Wow. It's not about that. 
It's about staying with Jesus. It's about trusting that God's at work and keeping that sense of urgency that yes, there are real things on the line here. The salvation of souls, people going from death to life, people who are enslaved by all kinds of things, being set free to become who they're meant to be. There's a real urgency here. But it's about keeping pace with Jesus because we're yoked with him. If we're sluggish and we just drag behind Jesus, that yoke's going to pull on us and we're just going to want to throw it off. And we're going we're to miss his joy. We're going to miss our mission. And if we're running too fast, if we're pulling ahead of where he wants to be, that yoke's going to chafe and we're just going to feel burdened all the time. We're just going to feel upset and angry. And when someone rejects the gospel, when someone doesn't believe like we believe, we're going to hate them. We're going to resent them. And that is not of God. So friends, how do we keep pace with Jesus? And how do we receive that gentle and meek yoke? This is your homework for the week. It's a simple exercise that maybe sounds easier than it really is. (laughs) But this week, I want all of us to do everything you do only for God. Whatever you do during the week, do it just for God. Do it to praise God. Do it because you love God. And not because of anything that blesses you or or helps you during that day. So if you're waking up in the morning and you're brushing your teeth, brush your teeth for God, who gave you those beautiful pearly whites, okay? If you're emptying the dishwasher and you're like, oh, God, do this again, because, you know, someone else didn't do it. Empty the dishwasher, empty the dishwasher for God, for his praise. If you're working on a project at work and it's getting kind of tough, and you're like, this is a lot of time, Lord, a lot of energy, do it just for God. And not for your sake, not for your promotion, not for your coworkers to see you, not just to get it done, do it for God. If you're having a lunch with someone, a conversation with somebody, do it for God. Do every single thing this week to praise the Father of heaven and earth. I found this to be actually a very hard exercise because it's made me discover how much I do things just for me. (laughs) And sure, the Lord wants to bless us, right? The Lord wants us to to do what's right, and we know that we're going to be blessed by doing that, of course, right? But it's kind of like this. Like, remember, like, in Lent? Sometimes in Lent, people are like, I'm giving up chocolate, cheesecake, and desserts. And they're like, I can't wait to lose a few pounds. Like, does God want you to get in shape? Yes, of course, he wants you to be healthy. But is your Lenten resolution to honor God by the sacrifice? Or is it to look better? Right? Both of those things may happen, but to do it simply for God's sake is so much different than just the benefit that I want for myself. So this week, do everything you do, whatever it is, at work, at home, in your bedroom, on the road, do it for God, for his praise and his glory. If you want help with that, turn to our psalm from today, Psalm 145, this amazing psalm that teaches you how to praise God for his goodness. Not because of anything he does for you, but just because he is worthy of all love 
He is unlike anyone else. He deserves all praise and glory. He's rescued us from death. And so we praise him. That practice will actually keep us yoked with Jesus at his pace because he does everything just for God. He lived his entire life simply for the love of the Father and how fruitful a life it was. What a harvest that Christ brought in. Brothers and sisters, let's rejoice today that our names are written in heaven. We belong to the heavenly city because of Jesus. So let's celebrate this Eucharist with praise and thanksgiving because God our Father has called us, us little ones, us small, tiny children, us very seemingly insignificant but so precious to the Father. He's revealed his love to us.